Hello there, everyone, and welcome to HPAC On The Air, the monthly podcast of HPAC Engineering Magazine. My name is Rob McManamy, Editor-in-Chief of HPAC Engineering, and our returning guest this month is Dr. William Bonflep, um, an ASHRAE past president, former chair of the Society's uh, recently ended uh, epidemic task force, and current vice chair of its Environmental Health Committee. By day, Bill is also a professor of architectural engineering at Penn State University and a longtime member of our own HPAC Engineering Editorial Advisory Board. A registered engineer, Bill holds BS, MS, and PhD degrees in mechanical engineering from the University of Illinois and is a fellow at ASHRAE, the American Society of Mechanical Engineers, and the International Society for Indoor Air Quality and Climate. So, Bill, welcome back to HPAC on the Air. Yeah, thanks very much, Rob. Glad to be here. Thanks. I think you're our, you're our first uh, repeat customer here, um, but certainly plenty to talk about. So, um, Bill, thanks again for joining us. And, and now I guess we last spoke with you here about 14 months ago uh, when the epidemic task force was, uh, was right in the middle of everything. Uh, now, much has happened uh, since then. So I was hoping that you could uh, please update us and our audience a bit on uh, where the work of the task force uh, uh, stands today, and and um, and now that it's, I believe it came to a conclusion at the uh, the annual meeting in June, uh, but I'm the the work lives on, of course. So just please uh, update us about uh, all things uh, related to that, if you would. Sure, and you know, the first thing I should say is that when we formed the task force, the intent was never for it to become a standing committee of ASHRAE and then go on indefinitely. We at the time, mistakenly thought that maybe in a year the whole pandemic would be over and we would have generated some some uh, guidance quickly, and, and then um, we would move on to trying to do things to prepare for the uh, the next pandemic or epidemic. And of course, the the pandemic's still going on here now into the mm-hmm. into the third year. But um, we felt that we had done what we set out to do in terms of producing guidance by the end of last year. And that the main thing left to do was to try to uh, look inward to ASHRAE and get uh, ASHRAE to start uh, uh, doing the things that we had been doing for the longer term through the committees that already exist. And we we pushed out guidance in a lot of areas where ASHRAE has standards, for example. And, and at some point, the standards committees have to be the place where that kind of further development takes place. So. I would say right now we're we're in in that transitional mode of uh, trying to engage with the, the rest of the society and to get them to pick up some of this work. And we're doing that through the Environmental Health Committee. And when we discussed whether we should go on for another year with uh, the incoming leadership with uh, President Maboub and, and others, um, it really seemed the best thing to do was to sunset the ETF and to uh, assign responsibility for what it had been doing to the Environmental Health Committee. So I'm the, the vice chair of, of uh, EHC now. I've been a member of it uh, before and know it very well. And it's the actually the body that's supposed to coordinate health-related issues through the whole society. So it's a very good place to send that work. And we're, we're now uh, working on some um, transition plans, a final report that we hope to deliver in, in mid-year here. We'll, we'll see if that gets done on schedule, but um, that's the the plan. Uh, but I should say that uh, there are things going on that uh, are uh, still engaging the, the leadership of the ETF. We, we started a lot of external relationships going and, and uh, those have to continue. So 
uh, a lot of advocacy is, is in progress. We are working with WHO, with the White House, EPA, NIOSH, AHRI, and, and others on uh, uh, things that uh, we, we hope will happen that will uh, follow on from what we've learned during the pandemic. You know, ASHRAE, for example, has been providing some support to the White House and EPA as uh, they spin up the uh, White House's clean indoor air challenge. And uh, we also uh, helped uh, Congressman uh, Don Beyer uh, in the development of the Airborne Act, which is a piece of legislation that's sitting in, in uh, the House waiting to be acted on that would provide uh, tax incentives for doing IAQ assessments and uh, actual uh, uh, tax incentives for doing projects to bring up the indoor air quality and buildings to uh, to meet ASHRAE standard 62.1. So there's all of that. And, and internally over the last year, um, if you look back over it, that quite a bit of stuff has happened that is relevant to the pandemic response that was in some way related to the ETF. One was the, the publication of the indoor carbon dioxide position document. It's been a tremendous amount of interest in the use of CO2 as a, a metric for uh, indoor air quality and for infection risk. So uh, that committee was chaired by Andy Persley from NIST, and we produced that document um, earlier in the year, several months ago. And that was followed just within the last few weeks by the publication of uh, a completely revised infectious aerosols position document. You may remember that that was maybe the first piece of pseudo interim guidance that we had from ASHRAE. We, we hurried that to publication in April of 2020. And until the ETF could start putting out guidance, that was the place that uh, people were looking. It's it's really uh, not a document you should be using now, but I want everyone to know that the new PD is on the uh, the website and is, is worth reading. Uh, in terms of standards, the IAQ procedure for standard 62.1 has been approved. That's a big step forward in indoor air quality for a number of reasons. And I just uh, noted that for 62.2, the residential standard, <clears throat> they've done two big things recently. They, uh, an addendum was approved to require air cleaners to meet the same UL 2998 ozone standard that is in 62.1. And uh, very interestingly, now the minimum filter efficiency required for all residential buildings in 62.2 is MERV 11. So it's now better than, than 62.1, which is currently still sitting at MERV 8. And I hope that they're encouraged to, to raise the bar there as well. And the final thing I would note here is that we just had a, uh, a global HVAC summit in Istanbul that had a two-day meeting about uh, indoor environmental quality and wellness. So there's a lot of activity going on and uh, uh, the uh, remnant of the ETF, if you will, is, is plugged into a lot of that. Mm -hmm. And the, I'm sorry, <clears throat> you said the PD, which PD document were you referring to earlier when you said people can go look at that? Infectious aerosols. So if you go to the ASHRAE website and, and you uh, search on position documents, you'll find okay. all of them there, the, the carbon dioxide position document and also the uh, um, infectious aerosols document. Okay, then I think we'll, we'll, we'll put links on our, uh, um, on the podcast when it, when I guess when the transcript goes up too, or when, when we post the podcast, we'll, we'll try to have the links yeah. as well. Um, I think you probably uh, well answered this to, to some degree, but it, just the question also is looking back now, and, and I know we're not completely out of it, 
uh, yet. Um, we're not at the end of the pandemic, unfortunately, but uh, what what specific lessons or maybe even surprises uh, uh, came forward uh, over the last uh, year or so that, uh, uh, that you say that, that the lessons that the industry knows now regarding the pandemic and, and other indoor air quality practices that they think uh, hopefully will will carry forward now? Yeah, that's that's a really uh, intriguing question. Maybe maybe I have more observations than uh, than lessons. But yeah, one one of the the, the worrisome ones is I think we we can see that uh, people have short attention spans. Uh, we we really want the uh, the pandemic to be over, and to some extent, a lot of society has declared that it's over, and we've gone back to normal. And even within ASHRAE, I see a big swing back to. Uh, the emphasis being all on uh, energy efficiency and decarbonization, even though we're just getting started with, I think, the project of raising the bar uh, for for indoor air quality. So that, that worries me because it's going to take some resolve and investment to, uh, to really change things. And um, it's a warning that we need to keep pushing on that, those of us who think that that needs to be done. Uh, another observation, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. A lot of money was made available uh, early on through ARPESSER to uh, uh, facilitate improvements in air quality in schools. And a lot of that money has gone unspent or been spent for other things. And you have to wonder why that is. Why is the uptake not there for some of this technology when uh, the case for doing it ought to be pretty clear and the, the resources are there. The only thing I can speculate is that maybe there are other things that uh, uh, for which that money is, is seen as being a higher priority that need to be done in schools. We know that schools have bad infrastructure problems. Uh, another thing I'd observe is you can't make up for decades of underinvestment in solutions overnight. Uh, people would like us to have a lot of answers for things that have to do with technology like uh, do air cleaners work? Are air cleaners safe? And what should ventilation rates be? And uh, you know, if we had been investing in in those things, like uh, investment has gone into things like vaccines, tens of billions of dollars in the last three years, maybe we'd be a little closer to having confidence in the answers we can produce. And you know, I think that's something going forward. Is that I hope that those who have the resources to support. Uh, research and development will really put an effort into that. And I, I missed it when I was talking about the good things that are going on in ASHRAE. There's a lot of work on standards that's, that's going on in ASHRAE to address air cleaner standards. And AHRI is working on uh, that sort of thing, too. So it's a very good opportunity for an industry uh, uh, partnership here with organizations like ASHRAE. Uh, another observation, it's a big project to integrate public health with building science. I think it's it's wonderful to see the uh, uh, the White House getting on board through its COVID um, response uh, working group uh, supporting uh, air quality improvements as a way of mitigating risk of COVID. But you know, remember the pandemic started in 2020, and um, we got uh, this uh, uh, substantial. Um, new show of support from the White House really around the beginning of this year, not much before that. So and we were more than two years into the pandemic before uh, the public health officials really picked up on that. And I think we have a way to go with um, getting a good understanding between those who do building science and those who do public health about how the two 
fit together. And it's something that has to be done. And you know what? What's the other thing I might uh, mention? And this is because I I hear so much from all sides about what's going on. I think some people are a lot better at pointing out weaknesses uh, than they are at developing solutions to overcome them. You know, there, there's a huge uh, outcry from from some that we really ought to be able to change standards right now, and that we we uh, we know how to do that uh, properly. And um, I think we should try, but it's it's not an easy task, and I don't see the answer sometimes coming from the the critics. So, you know, those are a few things that I think in the last year have uh, really made an impression on me. Yeah, that reminds me of like, wasn't it? I guess Teddy Roosevelt talks about the man in the arena, right? That it's uh, yes. Uh, receiving the barbs, I guess, uh, that it's easier to be in the, in the, in the audience. When but it's better to be engaged than to be sitting in the stands, and he would have told you that, too. Right, right. When you reference the, uh, I guess, the, the federal involvement from the beginning of this year, is that referencing the, the, the Clean Air and Buildings Challenge? Yeah, and that the, the White House has, has put uh, indoor air quality into the COVID action plan, which I think is is terrific, and I really commend them for that. I just wish we had started... Uh, back in the, the previous administration to do this. A ASHRAE uh, sent uh, uh, an outreach letter to uh, to the previous administration saying they really ought to have building science expertise on the, the COVID response mm -hmm. team. And uh, it finally happened, but it took a long time. Okay. Um, and actually, speaking of COVID, and, and uh, like, like so many of us, I know you now have personally experienced COVID and, and uh, um, unfortunately, uh, how would you describe your, well, how would you describe your experience and, and how has it changed your approach, would you say, if at all, to to the, the work with the, uh, with ASHRAE now? Um, Being, well, let me say it hasn't really changed my approach as much as it's uh, convinced me that all of this effort was worthwhile and that we should keep going. But I had a pretty bad uh, case. I contracted it at a conference in um, in Rotterdam um, that was advertised as having good air quality, but you know nobody needs to wear a mask because all the the restrictions have been dropped. This was, I think, in in May of, of this year. Maybe it was April, but it was around that time. Uh, I've been vaccinated four times already, and and I was so sick. I was if I had gotten much worse, it would have been in the hospital. And I was very thankful to have antivirals because that really made all the difference for me. I, I tested positive for two weeks. I've got. A child who has had it twice within three months, even though she and her her uh, her husband, who's a, a physician, uh, are both vaccinated and, and know what to do, and she works at home. Um, I, my wife has had it. Everyone I know has had it, and actually, I've met more people that I know who've gotten it recently than I did in the first two years of the pandemic. So um, it's it's still very much. Um, amongst us. Um, maybe what this has showed me is, is, is that even if we're vaccinated and we have a building with good air quality, that may not be enough for a, a virus that's highly infectious. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't do those things, but I think the, the reality is that we need to think of these engineering controls of ventilation and filtration and UV as a way of expanding the, the, the envelope uh, within which we don't have to do things like distance and wear masks and take uh, other other measures. You know, I think at some point um, when there's enough incidence of a disease in the population, that's just what we're going to have to, to do if we really want to 
uh, try to protect ourselves from it instead of just letting it uh, kind of roll over us. I, I think the letting COVID run rampant through the population we can see is, is uh, really a horrible thing to do, especially with the uh, uh, long COVID consequences that some people are experiencing. Mm -hmm. And actually just, uh, I mean, uh, uh, on that note, as we enter the holidays here and, and looking ahead to AHR Expo and ASHRAE's winter meeting uh, in Atlanta in February, um, as you as you hinted at, I think I, I can speak for many when I say that I'm still wary about or confused even about how best to interact with others at, at this stage of the pandemic. Now, um, now in your meeting with, uh, I know you can't disclose uh, too many details, I guess, but I know you meet regularly with, I, I believe, the, the White House, uh, uh, the COVID task force, or uh, that they still have going there. And what's the uh, overall? Uh, recommendations I have, I guess you might have for your students going home for, for the winter holiday and, and uh, friends and colleagues on how best to navigate the, the next three months. Yeah, well, I mean, this isn't uh, from the White House, and we, we do answer when they call. Uh, I wouldn't say it's regular, but uh, we, we hear from them and, and respond. Um, but my, my advice, based on everything the task force has done, based on everything I know, um, have your vaccinations, uh, have up-to-date COVID vaccinations, whatever you can get, and uh, get the the influenza uh, vaccine too. If you've looked at the early season influenza uh, data, it's scary. It's, it's peaking like uh, Omicron this year. It's a, a season like we haven't had in a long time. So we don't have, just need to be worried about that. And, and I'm, I'm reading that uh, you know, respiratory syncytial uh, virus, RSV, is really uh, wreaking havoc. And I'm, I'm hearing about uh, ICUs full of kids in, in Canada. I, I look at some of the uh, social media. So there's a lot of stuff going around. But uh, vaccinations are important. Uh, for COVID testing, you know, I, I can get uh, eight rapid tests a month free, and, and my wife can too. So we get 16 tests through through our insurance every month so there's never any question about you know should i use a test or not we've got plenty of them around so if you're going to go out and be in a, a social family situation test before you go test when you come back make sure that everyone is as sure as they can be that they're not infected before you get together uh, masks are still uh, de rigueur i i wear a mask everywhere i go in a public situation, I was at a basketball game with you know probably six thousand people the other night, and the only two people I could see who were wearing masks were my my wife and myself. Um, but it makes a difference. There's nothing you can do in the in terms of controls that's nearly as effective as as wearing an N95 mask, and and you're just agreeing to expose yourself to much higher risk if you take it off. So if you worry. The things are going around that uh, could be bad for you. And if you want to help break the chain of transmission, wearing a mask is still a good thing to do. And I would do it at conferences and I would do it as much as possible in, in public during the holiday season. And certainly anytime you're on public transportation, I, I put on an N95 when I get to the airport and I take it off when I leave the airport, my, my destination. Uh, you get used to it and it's really uh, not bad if you wear high quality stuff, which which I, I try to. I, masks are very comfortable and I don't even think about having them on anymore. But beyond that, and now I gotta get into the ETF recommendation, keep spaces well ventilated, uh, crack windows if you're at home. If you have a CO2 monitor, which is nice to have, 
uh, it can tell you if things are getting uh, uh, too uh, too stuffy. So I use mine all the time. And if I see it's getting up over 700, 800 ppm, I make sure I open a few more windows. And I also recommend having portable air cleaners at home. I got mine a long time ago at the beginning of the pandemic, but I have pretty much room by room uh, HEPA air cleaners that will do uh, four or five air changes per hour. And you can turn them on and off um, as needed. They don't have to run them all the time in, in every room. So those are, are things that that I would recommend that you can do yourself. And for those who are putting on events, run them responsibly. You know, if you're if you're doing a conference, if you're having a, a wedding or some kind of a party, um, encourage people or insist that they are vaccinated and, and tested before they come. And, and don't be wishy-washy about promoting use of masks at, at meetings. Many have, and there have been many significant outbreaks of, of COVID because of that at meetings that I've been to. Yeah, I just I just saw another headline a couple of days ago. I guess about another ocean liner. I think that that had a, uh, a I think 800 infections on the uh, on on the liner. I, I, I believe I was in Australia. I think. I yeah, Australia. yeah. I forgot to mention cruises. What are you thinking? I don't know. I'm, <laughs> I, I was. I'm not the type to go on cruises anyway. But now I'm I'm really not very interested for the immediate future. Right. Right. Okay. Well, Bill, thanks for your time. I guess finally the last question I would have here, and I know we've covered it a bit as well. But I, I remember uh, last time we spoke, you had referenced an article then that was uh, uh, that you had co-authored with uh, with a number of other experts in Science Magazine talking about a paradigm shift uh, to combat indoor respiratory infections. Um, and I remember you were hopeful then that architects and engineers would would, uh, you know, would take up the gauntlet and, and start being more, pro more proactive in designing healthier building environments. And of course, that's that relies on on uh, owners being more uh, open to that as well. But now here we are 18 months later or so uh, from that article, how far along would you say we are uh, uh, on that paradigm shift now? Yeah, sure. Well, there, there are you know, different places where the, that change can happen. The paradigm shift article itself was really written to encourage uh, changes in standards, which uh, haven't really come to pass yet, but I think they're they're going to happen. That, that group that wrote it, the, the group of 36 that Lydia Moroska put together, is actually working on another article on uh, that's more detailed on on standards. But I think that, that there's certainly a lot of discussion. You can already see in ASHRAE standards, it, it's, it's a small start, but the changes in 62.2, those are, are pretty much coming directly out of uh, um, the response to the pandemic. As far as what professionals are doing, I, my anecdotal evidence is that a lot of, of uh, uh, designers and, and owners are um, thinking about improving air quality and doing more than they were. Um, uh, so I think the signs are all good. Uh, we, we have lead and we have well uh, that uh, for a longer period of time and in the last few years have been uh, providing some guidance for those who want to do better. Um, if you think about the the startup of of LEED, it took a long time for it to really catch on as kind of an exponential growth, and you couldn't see much for a while at the beginning. I think we're we're really on that path, but it's going to take uh, a while for it to really add up. And of course, the 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 big uh, prize is doing something about existing buildings. All of these. Um, great ideas for new buildings are going to change the landscape very 
slowly. What we really need are things that we can go in and do in uh, existing buildings that are cost effective. And that's one reason I like uh, representative buyers legislation a lot, because it's working on the buildings we already have and that we know are, are deficient. Okay, well, we'll try to, we'll put a link to that uh, uh, as well on, on, our, on our website. Uh, but Bill, thanks again for, for all your time here. Thanks for the update. And uh, uh, I know it's, it's, it's starting to get busy on campus, I guess, about uh, uh, people getting ready for the uh, Thanksgiving break and all and, and finals. Uh, busy as in they're, they're all packing to go away for a week. But, uh, <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Well, again, thanks again for, for your time here. And uh, uh, hopefully my, maybe we talk again. Well, actually, hopefully, hopefully we'll see you in Atlanta. Uh, we'll we'll uh, see you there. I will be there. Okay. All right. Well, thanks again, sir. And uh, do have a uh, have a great holiday period and, and stay safe. And, and hopefully uh, we'll, we'll all stay healthy as well. Thanks. And, and to you and yours, Rob. Pleasure.